Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Overstated NBA Show. Who is this voice you're hearing? I, I haven't heard my own voice in a microphone or in my headphones for a really long time, and neither of you guys. Uh, this is Ethan checking in the game. I'm back. He's finally back. I told Mikey to sub in the, the, the Clay Thompson He's Back audio from when he re- made his gallant return to the starting five for the Golden State Warriors. Uh, I'm not sure if he's actually going to do that. I probably don't even deserve it, but I am back. I apologize for taking such a long hiatus. I've had a crazy couple of months. It started with a nice case of COVID that turned into bronchitis. I've been constantly searching for a new job. And uh, as many of you in the page know, I recently got engaged. But, you know, this podcast isn't about me. This is an NBA podcast. We don't need the life updates. I'm in no position to give you any sort of advice. I'm only here to introduce who I'm with tonight. We're doing a little late night pod, a little overstated after dark. I am joined by a man who stayed through the middle of the third quarter in a Mavericks game tonight over a team that I'm contractually not allowed to talk about on tonight's podcast. I'm joined by Mavs superfan Kyle Grandin. Kyle, welcome back. You've you've been on this pod more recently than I have, so you tell me, man. How's it going? Uh, things are going well. Yeah, big Mavericks win tonight and uh, third time on the overstated pod, so feels like things are looking up for me. So thank you guys for having me on and uh, looking forward to talking some hoops. Absolutely. I'm excited that you're back, too. You and I killed it on that Southwest pod. I feel like it's a pod that uh, it's, it's, it's a top five pod for this podcast. Like Brett won't give me the recognition. Steve will call me horrible, <laughs> horrible names. Uh, but you and I killed it on that pod. And it, it really just completely just kind of blows out of the water the entire power hierarchy of this podcast. And speaking of a guy who needs to keep the two of us basically rotating guests in line, Mikey Beyer coming to us live from his garage, coming to us from the past. You're, you're two hours behind us Mikey and every time we try to record something I I am increasingly jealous of how you can just continue on with your night and meanwhile I just have to crawl into bed completely exhausted and socially spent after trying to record a podcast how, how's it going out there I get to see you next week man I'm fucking excited this is gonna be awesome oh yeah Milwaukee here we come yeah no I am uh I'm good the west coast is good but all that that means that I'm two hours behind you is that I have to edit the pod when we're done and you guys get to go to sleep so I don't know. Sometimes I feel like trading places, but I do get to watch all the late basketball. I never actually mind like editing a pod and like watching the, you know, the Kings or the Warriors games as they're winding down. It's usually a good vibe. So, yeah, I'm doing great, man. I'm happy you guys could join us. Uh, Steve and Brett are on a little hiatus. Brett recently introduced his second son into the world. We want to give him a round of applause. Brett, Woo! Lovely, man. Congratulations. And Steve did the complete exact opposite. And, uh, he took care of that little problem for, uh, well, forever. So good for Steve as well. Steve, we love you. We're going to come see you pretty soon, man. And yeah, you guys, let's have a pod. It's going to be fantastic. Uh, shout out Rocky. Rocky, welcome to the world, man. We're glad you're here. We're glad that you're going to be a part of the page and probably uh, the next 15 years, if we're still you know, active, if we're still going, um, you'll get to see uh, your dad in his natural habitat, which is just being an internet media mogul. Uh, showing up on ESPN, doing whatever. You don't have object permanence yet. I'm just saying stuff that has absolutely no bearing on you as a human, but we're glad you're here. Steve also got a kid on the way. Um, I, I'm desperately trying to plan for a wedding that I have absolutely no idea how to pay for. And Mikey has shit on his walls as of last weekend. So Mikey, you've been super reliable. When the shit literally hits the wall in your household, we can always rely on you to stay consistent, get after it. And that's why we like having you on the podcast, man. I'm so excited to be back here talking um, I, I don't want to turn this immediately into a homeristic podcast, but 
we're in a very weird time in the NBA where the Northwest Division is absolutely reigning supreme and wreaking havoc on anyone else involved. I see Kyle looking back at the television. I know we're recording this right at the end of the Magic Nuggets game going on tonight. I haven't checked the score. I have no idea whereabouts we're at in that game. But um, regardless of the outcome of that matchup and regardless of the outcome that OKC suffered tonight going down to the Brooklyn Nets, the Wolves, the Thunder, and the Nuggets are three of the top five teams in the NBA. And if you had told me that five years ago, I would have absolutely looked you dead in the eyes and laughed hysterically. I, I, I don't, as, as, as a Wolves fan, I have a really hard time dealing with success and kind of dealing with the failure that will probably ultimately come from that. But it's, it's a very weird time to be a Minnesota tortured sports fan. Kyle, when you look at the Western conference right now, and obviously your Mavericks are very, very close behind and what's going to be probably another long log jammed race to the finish as we head towards the playoffs. How do you look at these like new blood teams at the top of the conference? What, what's kind of your thought process on this? I don't even want to say early success. We're over a third of the way through the season. This is, this is sustained success. Yeah, I got to be honest, it's pretty terrifying from the Mavericks perspective, right? Like the the idea for the Mavericks was, you know, you wait out this Steph Curry, LeBron, Kevin Durant era, and then all of a sudden you have Luka Doncic, you're going to be competing for the next decade. And, you know, as long as the Mavs figure out their pieces going forward, they still very well could compete for the next decade with Luka Doncic at the, at the top. But then all of a sudden it's like the, this Oklahoma City buzzsaw just – keeps going. Shea Gilgis-Alexander is now a top five player in the league, it seems like. And, you know, everyone's pretty much anointing him that he's deserved it for how he's played the last year and a half, uh, making that leap. And he's made the Thunder have made the leap following in his footsteps, too. Uh, You know, and then you got Anthony Edwards coming along. You know, he's not quite there yet, but he's well on his way to being a top five, top six, top seven player in basketball. He, you know, he's blessed with this uh, twin tower duo of Carl Anthony Towns and Rudy Gobert, which seems like it's found its found its footing as far as a duo and how they play together, which, you know, I know Towns was injured a lot last season, but they've seemed to really kind of find their way to mesh around each other and work those lineups really well. So now you got those two and then you still got the Denver Nuggets, the reigning NBA champions. Jokic still isn't even still isn't even 30 and you have those three and it's just like, OK, well, we wanted to wait out Steph Curry, LeBron James, all that. Now we got these new, three new pieces to beat out. And I mean, right now, honestly, I don't think the Mavericks compete with these teams. Like if I were to say like going in, I know the records obviously speak for themselves, but I don't think the Mavericks have good matchups with either any of the three of those teams. And that's where we're running into the issue where, okay, how do the Mavericks get to that point? And, you know, everyone else in the West basically has to look at, you know, for the first time in 20 years, How do you beat Minnesota? You know, how do you beat Oklahoma City? Teams have to start thinking about that as we get ready for this trade deadline, which is in like five, six weeks. And we have to start preparing for those questions. Yeah, I remember at the end of last season when third place through 10th place in the Western Conference was separated at one point by, I want to say it was like two and a half, three and a half, four and a half games. Like it it got down to a point where it was just a a rough and tumble to try and figure out how that seeding was going to land out, which teams were going to be fighting for a play in slot, which teams were going to be safe, which teams were going to get home court advantage. And I feel like we're going to be kind of going towards the same trajectory as we move towards the end of the season here. Like we talk about these teams at the top, the the Northwest division, 
the Wolves have had really good luck with injuries. Like we had a couple games where Jaden McDaniels was out. We had a couple games where Ant was out, where kind of those role players had to step up and really show what they could do in those spot minutes. Same with the Thunder. Thunder have been pretty darn healthy across the entirety of the first part of the season. You kind of look at the teams at the bottom, like your your Memphis is obviously with John Morant being suspended for 25 games. They're kind of on a different trajectory, but with how banged up a team like the Lakers has been with the Clippers finding their chemistry. And I'm sure we'll talk about them later in this podcast as well. The Mavericks as well, like Derek Lively out for what the second or third game in a row after suffering an ankle injury earlier last week. Like you look at the teams at the top and the, the theme is consistency. And to go back to the Wolves, that was just something that we didn't have last year. We didn't have that consistency with Towns missing all that time. The Thunder really struggled with not having a big man and trying to have to figure out all the rotations based off of that. And they're trotting out Mike Mascala for 10 to 12 minutes a game. Like, I'll do respect to Mike Mascala, but Chet Holmgren is taking your job and then some at this point. Like, you you look at the teams at the top, consistency's been the key, and obviously you don't want to wish injury on any team, but... I'm worried as we kind of talk about, we're going to, we're going to talk about the, how the thunder and the wolves really stack up against each other. I'm worried, especially about the wolves lack of depth. If an injury like that were to happen, I'm worried that we could find ourselves in a position where we were the uh, precarious Jimmy Butler year, where we're at the top of the Western conference. We're competing for a good spot. Everyone's saying the wolves are here. And all of a sudden an injury derails us and we're fighting for an eight seed and end up getting, and end up getting tossed in the first round. And that's that's what I worry about. I'm I'm knocking on wood ferociously as I finish this sentence here, but it, it gets to a point where I I want this to continue. I want to feel the pain of being the number one seed in a conference and probably losing in the second or third round. But at the end of the day, there's there's so much more that can happen over these next fifty to forty five games. It's going to be wild. So let's talk about the Oklahoma City Thunder here. Let's let's get let's get into some Thunder talk because. The, the big thing that everyone has talked about with the Thunder is their youth. They're the second youngest team of the league. The Spurs are the only team with a younger average age. And everyone looks at the squad as they're here. But I, I feel like expectations are curbed. Like I was the one of the front runners of let's let's toss a little water on the fire that is Oklahoma City Thunder preseason hype. Like I want to see them do it over the success of a season. And I feel like if I'm their coach, Mark Dagno, and I'm looking at my second youngest roster in the NBA. I want this team to get to the playoffs. I want them to have some meaningful success, but I'm not thinking championship at this point. Am I right? Like you're still sitting on a ton of draft picks. Your average age is so low. These guys are still learning just to play with each other. Is, is the time now for them to make that trade that is ultimately going to put them over the top or I, I want to wait. I want to wait to see what this team does in the playoffs just to get a little bit of experience. The last time they made the playoffs was 2020. That was when Chris Paul and Daniil Gallinari was, were still on this team. So Shea was a rook, uh, second-year player when they made it the last time. Lou Dort was a rookie. Everyone else hasn't even played in a playoff series, much less won one. Kyle, what are your thoughts on what the Thunder should do in this remainder of the season? Do they swing for the fences, or do they just try to get on base? I guess the question is, what is swinging for the fences with the Thunder? Like, is swinging for the fences getting one of these superstars that, or one of these star players that are available currently? Like, I don't think Donovan Mitchell makes sense for this team, right? I don't think a Zach Levine makes a lot of sense for this team. You know, you could argue Pascal Siakam makes sense for this team, but does Pascal Siakam guarantee you to be the favorite in the West? 
Um, it's, it, you know, if Lori Markinen's actually on the table, that's probably the guy for Oklahoma city that makes the most sense. You know, him and Chet would have just, I mean, that'd be an insane duo in the front court that, you know, they, they can play off each other really well. They do a lot. They have a lot of similar qualities and then Chet's defense with Laurie's offense. I mean, that'd just be really hard to overcome. So, I mean, if Laurie Markinen's actually available and that's, you know, a trade that's attainable for Oklahoma city, I would absolutely do it. But outside of that, like. What is the actual like swing for the fence move for OKC? Because I don't actually believe like Laurie's on the table for anything real realistic. I think that's just Danny Ainge being Danny Ainge. Um, so if he's if he's not on the table, what it, what exactly is Oklahoma City's next move? And that's where I don't think they should go all in on necessarily like this huge trade because they shouldn't overpay for a player that I don't think makes them a favor in the Western Conference. And I just don't think if if Laurie's not on the table, I just don't think that player exists. And I mean. I mean, if you just look at this team in general, like I, I think I did a study on it last year and it was 21 of the, at the time it was 23, but now it's 24 because uh, Denver uh, won the title after the fact. 21 of the last 24 teams were top 10 in defense in the NBA and top five in net rating. Oklahoma City is currently seventh and third. Now you could argue that some of the teams in the past that have been in this, like Memphis the past couple of years, Cleveland last season, those are saying, oh, well, maybe it's just a statistical anomaly. But those those teams didn't have Shea Gilgis-Alexander playing at this level. He's an MVP candidate for a reason. And honestly, he might be a top three MVP candidate this season. So, you know, having that level of player along with this defensive backbone and, you know, just this overall level play on both sides of the ball you know this is the second best team in shooting this season this is the best team from the three-point range this is the best team in free throw percentage they don't turn the ball over they're fifth in turnovers they're second in blocks fourth in steals third in points on the paint allowed like everything this team does really well besides i guess you could you could nitpick their rebounding they don't rebound they don't care about offensive rebounds so those are probably the only things that's probably the only thing you could really nitpick on this team. So if you want to just say, let's fill around the edges, let's get someone who can rebound if we need it, an extra big, I think that's a better move than saying, let's let's force our hands here with getting a Pascal Siakam and trying to force this thing to happen. You know, go and find just a cheap big to make this work, or, you know, you can find, a, you know, other guys around the fringes rather than having to trade a Josh Giddy to make that trade work and have to go all in like that. Exactly. And when you when you have the level of draft capital that OKC has at their disposal, the trades get a lot easier, right? So I, I looked at their roster and I I, I kind of wrote this down like their their starting five is I, I consider every single one of them untouchable uh, with the exception of maybe somebody like Lou Dort again. But they're again, like Lou Dort's picked it up this year. His three point shootings gone up statistically insane. It's it's gotten to the point where when they played the Wolves a couple of weeks ago, like we kept leaving Lou Dort open and he kept punishing us. He made six three-pointers in that game. I don't think I've ever seen Lou Dort make six threes in his life. Just from a, a fan watching standpoint, I'm sure it's happened before, but every time I left him open, I felt really comfortable that he was going to miss that shot and he just kept knocking him down. Same with Josh Giddy. He's knocked down four three-pointers in multiple games over the past week and a half. It's it's getting to the point where like I feel like all of those guys are untouchable. They're fourth in the league and starting five points per game. So the number of points that their starting five players score, they're number four in the league. They're number 22 in the amount of minutes that they're starting five plays. So that not only speaks to their depth and their ability to go to that bench and really have Mark Dagno tinker with his rotations and figure out what he has and have those players be effective. But when they're on the court, less than 21 other teams in the league, they're scoring at a top five clip, which is absolutely insane to look at. So, like you said, I don't 
see a benefit to breaking up the SGA, Giddy, Dort, J-Dub, Chet Holmgren starting five. There's no point to me to do that, uh, barring some sort of catastrophic injury or if some once-in-a-lifetime opportunity player becomes available, and I don't even know who that could be at this point. I, I agree with you that the the move that they should make is to fill around the edges. The guys they bring off the bench, Cason Wallace has been awesome in spot minutes. Guard, guard out of Kentucky, who already looks like a KG veteran coming out and just playing lockdown defense. Isaiah Joe's shooting in the mid-40s from three-point land on really good shooting splits. Um, the only guys that I would maybe touch is maybe like a Kenrick Williams or like an Aaron Wiggins. Maybe you send a Trey Mann to another team to try and figure that out. If you think Usman Jang is more of a reclamation project than somebody you want to figure out over the next couple of years, then maybe that's something you can dangle. But again, like they, they don't need a lot. And the only thing I'd argue that they need is to get to the playoffs and get playoff experience. And then you figure it out there. Like, like you said, if it's a cagey veteran to help with rebounding, that sounds great. Like if the bulls decide to blow it up and you can get Andre Drummond for a couple of second round picks. Sure. Andre Drummond would probably help that team in rebounding a little bit and give them kind of a bigger body inside to be more of an enforcer for them. But at the end of the day, like I don't see a clear, I don't, I can't see the forest through the trees at this point. I can't see what is the one missing piece that would make this team competitive just because we don't know what this team can look like over the course of a seven game series. And with all those different roster combinations, with all those different rotations, with all those permutations, that Mark Dagno can throw in an opposing team over a seven game series. This team's going to be really, really hard to figure out. I just want to step on something you said real quick and see what, uh, if Kyle's got a rebuttal, uh, Ethan's talking about untouchable players on this roster. Do you truly think that um, Josh Giddy should be untouchable at least for the future of this team? Do you think they should write it out and see if like he can grow under that fifth piece that they need can be a shooter off of Shea in the playoffs or are they kind of worried about his spacing and what he provides for that offense when uh, things start to buckle down? I really like Giddy as a basketball player. Like he's just incredibly smart, um, you know, high IQ, uh, you know, the, the slob wizard, whatever, you know, whatever he's called, that kind of <laughs> stuff. Obviously the off the court issues this season and he started so horribly too, aside because, I mean, he started so poorly this season that I think it became a question I wouldn't trade him right now. I think there's an interesting conversation. And honestly, I was prepared to have this conversation about OKC in the offseason because it feels like history is kind of repeating itself where they didn't want to pay, you know, they didn't want to pay James Harden, Russell Westbrook, Kevin Durant, Serge Ibaka all those years ago, right? So they trade James Harden. So how is it going to come up when they have to pay Josh Giddy, Shea Gilders, Alexander, Jalen Williams, and Chet Holmgren? Because that day is going to come where, you know, Shea's going to be do his super max, super duper max, whatever we call it now. Um, Chet, Chet Holmgren's going to get his rookie max. Jalen Williams is going to get his rookie max. Josh Giddy has to get paid. How is that going to work in the future? Obviously, that's a future Thunder problem. They don't have to worry about that this season. But that's where it becomes like, if I'm judging this team, like Josh Giddy to me makes the, you know, fit wise fits the least with those three players those other three players like those other three players fit together really well and it's incredible how how well those guys already and you know this is Chet's first like full basketball season uh and you know Jalen Williams is only in his second year how well those three guys play off each other is just incredible to watch Mm -hmm. at such a young age for all of them so I think that's the question you have and then 
just overall Giddy's effectiveness on this team, I would agree because, you know, he's not quite the floor spacer. You know, if you look at the lineup numbers, like the minute discrepancy is big, but this team with their core four, with, you know, with Shea, with Chet, with Jalen Williams, Isaiah Joe is almost as effective net rating wise, offensive rating wise as Josh Giddy on the court with those three guys. So like you can argue that Joe Joe shooting stepping into that role makes some sense too. And you know, if there is a trade for like like I said, if Laurie Markin is on the table, Josh Giddy should absolutely be on the table for Laurie Markin in my opinion. Now, if it's, you know, if it's doing that for a I'm trying to think of another example. I guess cuz Siakam's name's come up a whole lot. I think when it's Siakam, I would have a little bit more of a conversation around it because I just value what Laurie can do with this team more than what Siakam can do with this team because to me, it's building on your strength. You know, you want this team is the best outside shooting team in the league right now. If you want to capitalize on that, add more shooting with a guy who's also just as versatile and really ride with that because you have that strength in your disposal. And building on that just makes it even more difficult for teams to defend you. You know, we, we talked about we're, we're doing this comparison of Minnesota and Oklahoma City right now in a way because both of these teams are so interesting to see at the top of the Western Conference. If these two teams did have to match up in a hypothetical playoff scenario and we know Gobert's history of defending uh, defending in the playoffs and we know Jokic's history of defending in the playoffs, although he was good last season, how are they going to defend this team when they have all this shooting around? And with, you know, Chet being able to space the floor, how are these teams going to be able to chase this Oklahoma City team around with all of this dynamic offensive players? Well, when the Wolves when the Wolves played the Thunder in that first game, and that was a really good feeling out process, I think, for both teams to try to figure out how they were going to combat each other. It was there was a noticeable amount of Chet Holmgren trying to get touches inside of Rudy Gobert and really test his interior defense. It didn't go that well for Chet. Uh, that clip that circulated of that 30-second clip of Chet catching the ball on the outside, trying to get by Rudy, force the kick out, force the pickup, air ball, a 12-foot shot. That was Rudy the whole game. Rudy had Chet's number. In the second game, it was a lot more Chet floating around the outside, a lot more J-Dub in that position, kind of floating around the rim in that Ben Simmons-esque dunker spot, really to try and force the issue inside and get Carl Anthony Towns closer to the basket than somebody like Rudy Gobert. Rudy, I love the man to death. I watched him tonight drive for a wide open dunk and a fast break. He almost completely bobbled the ball and lost it out of bounds. Rudy Gobert is not the most coordinated individual that I've ever seen play the game of basketball. He's good for one of those highlights like every five games. Gotta yeah. love him for it. He's he's an all defensive JaVale McGee at times. And it 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 struggled <laughs> it's a bit of a struggle with me because he will do the wackiest, most uncoordinated shit, and then he goes on offense, and then he goes down the other side of the court and he's just completely locked in on defense. So that's a little bit of a trade-off. But like you said, it's 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 gonna be such an interesting series, and one of these teams, likely, like you said, is gonna have to go up against the Denver Nuggets. Now, Gobert historically, and in that series last year against the Nuggets, Gobert holds his own pretty well against a guy like Jokic. I I think that, and I'll stand on this as well, is if we had Nas, if we had Jaden in that series against the Nuggets last year, I don't think we would have come away with a win in that series by any means. But I, I think that's a six or seven game series, either way you look at it. I'm not as worried about Denver as I am about a team like OKC, because like you said, Chet is a completely different kind of beast than Jokic is. Jokic lives in the high post. He seeks to distribute. 
Chet's mobile. Chet has a sweet stroke. Chet can kind of get to his spots where he needs to. And he's such a good player to have in that OKC offense when you have facilitators like SGA and Giddy who are able to get him the ball in the spots where he can succeed. And he's also able to live outside that three-point line where I feel like Jokic can shoot from outside, but by no means is he cruising around the perimeter looking for his three-point shot in the way like Chet would. Right. And, you know, part of Denver's MO on offense is they like to expose mismatches. They like to expose kind of being caught in switches, backdoor cuts. And, I mean, Minnesota's defense, just with the amount of defenders they can put on the court, just have a real answer to that because they, you know, you could say like Conley's the one weakness, but when Edwards is walked, locked in, I think he's a really good defender. When McDaniels is obviously one of the best perimeter defenders in the game and, you know, he's going to swallow up a lot of guards in this league. You know, you have Gobert who can match up with Jokic. You have Towns who's played, you know, some of his best defense of his career. I know the defensive rating numbers are like really high, and a lot of that is because the lineup he is he's in, but I do think he's also locked in on that side of the ball and just showing real effort on that side. So and then you could also, you know, Conley would be the weakness. You know, that's the guy you try and hide. But they can also sub Conley out for a guy like Kyle Anderson and just play just amazing defense. And everybody has length. Everybody has size. And it's just an incredible group. So, yeah, I mean, I just think, you know, I think both of these teams have some questions to address in the deadline. Like, neither one of them is the perfect candidate contender. Like like I said, for, we talked about this Oklahoma City thing. If you add around the fringes and add a big, I think Minnesota needs another guard, right? I think they need one more guy. Like, can they – can they package a, you know, I guess if if they love Leonard Miller, keep Leonard Miller. But if that's a guy you could use as a trade ship, is Leonard Miller worth going to get a guy like Tyus Jones? Like, I think you could do Shake Milton and Leonard Miller for Tyus Jones and bring him in as your backup point guard. Because I think when you look at Minnesota and their issues, like, there's not a lot of them because they're the number one de- they're the number one defensive team in basketball. And they just have this real identity of that. But they're 20th in assists, 28th in turnovers, 24th in passing percentage. So they don't pass the ball a lot, and they also turn the ball over a lot when they do pass the ball, which is never a great sign. Um, and they can't shoot. Or I shouldn't say they can't shoot because they're fifth in three-point percentage. They just don't shoot. They shoot the ball the 26th most, 26th most threes in the league. So finding a guy who can A, shoot, and B, attack the basket and distribute and take care of the ball, like – Tyus Jones is almost the perfect version of what you need for a Minnesota player. So if they can upgrade to a guy like that, I would be very interested to see a move like that at the deadline. I think it makes a ton of sense for them. Um, Because, yeah, I just think they need one more guy. I think OKC needs a bigger guy. They need a big. And if those two teams are able to fill around the fringes, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they're matching up in the Western Conference Finals this year. First of all, you're speaking music to my ears. Uh, Tyus Jones is a Minnesota basketball player. He was a Minnesota basketball player before he was an anything else basketball player. Shout out Apple Valley High School. But I, I would love nothing more than a Tyus Jones reunion here with the Minnesota Timberwolves. Let's let's transition to my team a little bit. You've spoken to a little bit of their offensive shortcomings. Uh, after Anthony Edwards and the Wolves lost to the Pelicans back on Wednesday, he was asked what was going on with the team. And his answer was pretty simple. Uh, his answer was, we suck right now. Um, and... To be fair, like you look at their offensive numbers and their net rating right now, they're the 21st ranked offense. Uh, They're 21st in offense, but they're first in defense. And they're so good on defense that that has dragged them up to a fifth rank in the net rating. That's, That's the level of team that I'm currently dealing with. 
It's it's nights that we're not winning with our offense. We're winning with our defense. We've held more teams under 100 points than any other team in the league this year. We just held the Rockets under 100 again tonight in a damn near 30-point blowout. It, it gets to the point where I feel so comfortable when the Wolves come out of the gates hot. The Wolves come out of the gates hot. I feel so comfortable that we can hold on to a six-point lead, but I hate when we're down by six points with less than five minutes left. That's led to a lot of really exciting endings. We're first in clutch winning percentage this year at 11 and two. Um, we're, we're absolutely killing it when we come down the stretch and then our offense starts to pick up and then we can start to get our stuff going. But the two times that we played Zion Williamson this year, he's absolutely murdered us. And even though the box score doesn't look as bad at the end of the game, goddamn, I would hate to see the Pelicans in a seven game series because they just seem to have our number. And the way that we play defense is not conducive to guarding a guy like Zion Williamson, who's going to keep constantly attacking and constantly looking for fouls and constantly getting those calls. Um, I sent a message out to our group chat on Wednesday night. Wolves trotted out a box and one defense in the NBA, which is something I haven't seen in a really, really long time. You got two guys up top and two guys down low and Anthony Edwards is just chasing Zion around as best as he can. I, I love that our coaching staff is willing to try shit. Uh, shout out Ryan Rosillo for shouting out Mike Nori, who's one of our head coach or assistant coaches does awesome segments before all of our Wolves games and does the halftime press conferences. He's a great soundbite. He's a great defensive mind. Um, this is this is the kind of team that we're dealing with. Like we we have the interchangeable pieces, but when we compare to a team like Oklahoma City, where they have so many possible combinations of guys that can trot out there, I feel like like you said, we're missing that secondary creator off the bench. So I wrote down our first three guys off the bench. Obviously, my guy Nas Reed, slow-mo Kyle Anderson, who had an awesome poster dunk on Jabari Smith tonight. Uh, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, ever since playing in FIBA, upped his three-point percentage, upped his three-point attempts, still locked in on defense. And it, it'd be fun to have that uh, cousin-to-cousin rivalry between him and Shea if we get them in a playoff series. But you look at that ninth spot on down, and it's been uh, a rotating cast of characters every couple of weeks. Troy Brown Jr. had an awesome couple of weeks. Shake Milton had an awesome couple of weeks. This time, it's Jordan McLaughlin. He's having a really good spurt coming off the bench, being able to provide that energy, kind of like a Jose Alvarado-type energy backup point guard. That's been really, really good. But I would like to see some more consistency. We brought in Conley to stabilize the offense, which he's done. But like you said, over the course of a seven-game series where he is in his age 35 or 36 season, I would like to see them bring somebody off the bench that's a little bit younger that can kind of stay with some of those quicker guards. We were hoping that was going to be Shake Milton. It's shown some flashes, but again, it's got to be some more consistency. Maybe it's a guy like our second-round pick this year, Jalen Clark, who was Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Year at UCLA last year, dealing with an Achilles injury. He should be back in a month or two. I want to get these kids some run, and again, like if – it gets to the point where we need to trade somebody like a Leonard Miller, who I truly love. I don't, I, I, I feel like you have to do it at this point. I don't, we don't have the luxury, like a team like OKC to have a billion draft picks and to figure this out a couple of years down the road before we pay people. We've already paid everybody and everybody likes to throw around that big number that we owe a quarter of a billion dollars to all of our centers. God, if I could pay Luca Garza $20 million a year, I'd do it too. Like, fuck it. Let's just go all in on the big center position, throw some big bodies out at people. And we kind of let it ride for the next five years. But at the end of the day, you do need to fill out a roster that makes sense and that that secondary distributor is something that we desperately need. Yeah, and it's been a nice, you know, kind of 
you're sticking the gum over the leak, right? And, you know, it's worked at times, like you said, with the Troy Brown Juniors, with the Jordan McLaughlins, with the Shake Miltons, but there's never that true, you know, at the end of the day, do you trust any of those guys when it comes to a playoff series? And I think the answer, truthfully, for most Minnesota fans is probably no. You know, if if you're relying on Shake Milton to provide a spark off the bench in the playoffs, I just don't think it's something that can realistically realistically happen three or four times in a playoff series, you know, that you may need it. So I just that feels like something that's so easily fixable too. there's just so many guards in the league that can get a bucket if you need it. Like, you know, I, I did bring up Tyus Jones, who, you know, I still think would be a perfect fit. But like you could pay a little bit more for Terry Rogier. You could get a guy like Jordan Clarkson, too, because. I agree with you. Like, I really like Leonard Miller as the prospect, and he's shown real flashes in the G League. But after trading all of these first round picks, after going all in with this roster, paying these guys what you're paying them, like, what is a few more second round picks and a second round prospect really worth to you? Right? You're you're kind of in this point where is it the point of no return for Minnesota to go in with these guys to say, We want to win with this group. We think we can win with this group. Our window is now let's just go and do this thing and then we'll figure it out in the future. Cause you still, no matter what happens this season, no matter what happens in the next couple seasons with this Edwards, Gobert, Towns duo trio, you still have a future that involves McDaniels that involves Edwards and probably involves Towns too, no matter how much people in overstate to try and trade them. Um, which side note on that, I really like the idea that they can't afford to pay Towns and be a contender but then everybody wants to trade Towns to Oklahoma City, who is also a contender. Like, I just don't understand the logic behind it. Anyway, I'm ranting. So, but yeah, I just, I look at that group and I'm just like, you, you just might as well go for it at this point. You know, when has Minnesota ever had this opportunity to actually go for it like this? And the time is now where you look like the best team in basketball, or at least the best team in the Western Conference, you know, Boston Celtics aside. So you um, look like the best. We don't talk about them on this pod. Yeah, this, oh, is, uh, okay. this no. is a Western Conference podcast. We don't need to talk <laughs> about those 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 goobers over there. We don't we don't need to do that here. <laughs> All right, we'll we'll leave the Bostonians out of it. But yeah, so you know, you look like the best team in the West at least, and you know, it may be time to fully just kind of buy in and say, let's like you said, fuck it, let's do this. A guy I really want, and you mentioned a guy like Jordan Clarkson, who's in division and in conference. I don't think Utah is in any position to help us out, and I don't think we're in any position to want to give Utah more of our assets. I want – if we talk about Siaka and we just saw OG get traded, fuck it. Give me a guy like Dennis Schroeder. Like, give me a give me a dude off the bench who can come in and facilitate, get me 12, 14, 16 points in a game in the playoffs. Like, that's the kind of guy that I'm chasing after if I'm Minnesota. That uh, a guy who has – like – like Mike Conley, the guy who's got the veteran experience, who's had the playoff success and can like calm down and actually run an offense uh, because Anthony Edwards is still very much learning the game. Uh, we talk about how Carl Anthony Towns is having a historic shooting season. It's because a lot of those like really bad shots are going to a guy like Anthony Edwards. You you mentioned that we don't pass the ball well. A lot of these possessions, it's, it's still Ant acting like he's the best player on the court. And a lot of the nights that he's out there, he is. But you have to remember as well, he's still in his early 20s and he still thinks he can throw a ball into an ocean. A lot of times he can't. Um, he's had some really rough shooting nights and I, I want to see him shoot a little bit less and a little bit more selectively. But you you bring in another calming influence like Mike Conley, like a Dennis Schroeder, like those guys you mentioned. I think his shot goes down a little bit just because he doesn't have to feel like he's running the offense. He doesn't have to feel like he's the number one option all the time. 
one thing that we mentioned that we wanted to talk about with these teams is a nightmare scenario. And we've talked about the changing of the guard uh, and seeing a lot of these really veteran teams, teams like the Lakers, teams like the Warriors, teams like the Phoenix Suns, who are right now in the ninth seed. And you could argue that that's maybe more based off of health and that lack of continuity than really anything else so far this season. But Kyle, when you look at these two teams at the top of the Western Conference, teams with very minimal playoff success over the past few years, teams with very young cores in the Oklahoma City Thunder, or in teams of uh, what many perceive as perennial chokers uh, in the Minnesota Timberwolves, at least in their starting front court, what is the team that you think that these fan bases should be terrified of the most kind of in that 7-10 to 10 range that's going to be fighting to go in the play-in and trying to replicate what the Miami Heat did last year? Yeah, I think you should good, also keep in mind, yeah. you should keep open the possibility that a team that's currently in like the fourth, fifth, sixth spot could also be in that range as well. It's still right. pretty wide open there. Like there's there's separation between the Clippers and like the Phoenix Suns between fourth and eighth, but it's only about a, a three and a half game gap and there's plenty of time for things to change. It's just such an interesting question because, I mean, this feels like the most parody driven kind of western conference that we've seen in a while right like it all feels kind of matchup based like i think all of it depends on your matchups through the playoffs more so than anything and you know as you talked about with uh minnesota they haven't handled new orleans very well and part of that is because a lot you know minnesota's thriving on defensive rim pressure Rudy Gobert being down there. Zion is just a cyborg when it comes to finishing around the basket. He finishes over everybody. So that creates the problem, not to mention they can shoot. And then not to mention the biggest thing, too, is like, you know, when it comes down to Edwards is having a fantastic season. He's going to be an all-star, all that stuff. You know, he's been a little chaotic sometimes in some, like, big spots. You know, I know they won that Celtics game, but that's one of the ones where it's like he had, like, three or four possessions in that game where it's just like, what, what are you trying to accomplish here? And he's still young. He's still trying to figure that stuff out. And I think his creativity, you know, creating shots for others is a big part of that. And New Orleans has guys like Dyson Daniels, like Herb Jones, like, uh, I mean, Najee Marshall can even go out there and cause some problems. Trey Murphy. They just have a lot of long dudes that can really guard. And I think that gives Edwards issues too, not to mention the fact that, you know, Valanchunas can stretch the floor. Zion finishes over everybody. So that is definitely a matchup problem for Minnesota facing a team like New Orleans. Uh, as far as like the the old guard, I would probably, it feels like a cop-out, but I would probably say Phoenix about all, all of these teams because I feel most optimistic about Phoenix fixing their issues. Because, I mean, Phoenix's issues is that they need their guys on the court. Like, until we see trades for the Lakers and Warriors, I don't really know what they need to fix because they need trades basically to fix their issues. And, you know, we'll see if they end up making those trades. But I mean, like Phoenix is like a plus 20 net rating in the limited sample size of we've, we've had a Durant Booker and um, Beal and they're a negative net rating when one of Durant or Booker sits. So it's basically just getting one of those guys on the court, all three of those guys on the court. And I think they could beat almost anybody. And it's time to point out that Bradley Beal has been on kind of a tear in the past week since he's come back. He put up 25, 8, and 9 tonight against the Heat in a 113-97 victory. He was a plus 27 from the floor. Obviously, KD's not back yet, but things are starting to look bright for the uh, the old Phoenix Suns. So that was a good pick by you, Ethan. Good preseason pick. 
Yeah, let's talk about that, actually. Uh, I know he's missed a handful of games. Can he technically still make All-NBA, or is that ship sailed at this point? I know he's got to make 60. Ah, Very much sailed. Ah, shoot. All right, well, I guess I'll lose that part of my preseason predictions. I'll I'll tap my chest (laughs) that I got a little too far over my skis on that prediction. But at the end of the day, that's that's what I'm worried about, too. It's a team like the Phoenix Suns. I wrote down the nightmare scenario for the Minnesota Timberwolves is what I like to call the superstar whistle. Um, the thing that scares me, especially with our current rotation is just the massive amounts of foul trouble we could get in. And then we're just going to be perennially fucked. Um, it happened in that, uh, first Pelicans game that Zion played us against in the first quarter, two fouls on cat, two fouls on Gobert, two fouls on Nas, all fouling a guy like Zion Williamson. And I say a guy like Zion Williamson, like there were other players that those guys fouled no all six of those fouls were on zion williamson and then he gets to the free throw line and just knocks it down and then we're looking around with kind of our our arms out like okay what's our what's our next option in terms of getting um some new blood out there like do we have to go dust off luca garza for tonight's game are we going real real small and putting kyle anderson at the five that's what scares me if i play a team like phoenix if i play a team like new orleans if i play into a team like god forbid if memphis those that playoff series, Memphis versus Minnesota from a couple years back was a was an absolute banger. And there is no shortage of bad blood between those two franchises. I would hate to see those guys in the playoffs again, as much as I would hate to see T Morant cheesing if we ended up choking that series away to what what about for Oklahoma City, Kyle? Like if you're if you're putting up the nightmare scenario for our first round series for OKC, what's the team that you would least want to face if you were Mark Dagno and his squad? Yeah. So I didn't put Phoenix for this one because, like I said, I felt like that was cheating. Um, I did put the Lakers just because we talked about their rebounding. And that's one of, you know, the Lakers in theory have the size. If they figure out their offense because they just cannot shoot, you know, if they add another guy to around the perimeter. Like the the Lakers have shown in this LeBron AD era that they're not afraid to go bully ball on small teams. And they were able to do that. Excuse me. They were able to do that specifically against, you know, Indiana in that in-season tournament play uh, final, stuff like that. So I just think of a team like Lakers, if they're able to exert their size on Oklahoma City, that would be a real challenge for them to figure out. And, I mean, we talked about everything that Chet does well, being able to, uh, you know, being able to move outside, hang around the perimeter, pull out guys. If you're going to design a Chet stopper, it's probably Anthony Davis. And then Anthony Davis can go bully him on the other end too, right? So that that just feels like the matchup problem for me if they able if they were to run into that. But I still think I would pick Oklahoma City right now to win unless we see the make the Lakers make some massive upgrades at the deadline. All right. So I didn't prepare you for this and Mikey wasn't ready for this either, but I kind of started thinking about this in my head when I was thinking about nightmare scenarios. If you're looking at the Western Conference right now, what is the best four series that you could have in a potential start of the playoffs? Like if you started the playoffs today, if you're Adam Silver worried about ratings, you're trying to rig this shit for the next 45 games. What is the ideal ratings matchup that you'd want? Do you want to drag the Warriors up by their bootstraps just so they can get waxed in round one? Is John Morant better for business than a guy like LeBron if you're worried about the future of the league here what's kind of your thought process there what what matches do you want to is, see i don't think the league is very encouraged about john morant being good for business at this point but if, if it's the league has their way it's always going to be a lakers vest we know that 
That's fair. Ah, oh, man. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like that team is still too stubborn to really figure it out. And I, I've, I've watched a lot more Memphis over the past month than I've really cared to share just because of the, the massive switch that's taken place now that Jaws come back. They've dropped a couple of their last few games, but I don't know. I, I want to see them in the playoffs. I think them versus Minnesota would be a banger. I think Minnesota versus the Kings just because of the style of play with the Kings sprinting constantly and the Wolves trying to drag people down in the mud. I think that'd be a fun matchup to kind of watch. What, what are some other fun ones that you'd really be looking for, Kyle, as you'd be moving towards the playoffs? Yeah, so constructing a first round, it'd be interesting to see all the matchups. Like, you could still get, you can rekindle that Mavericks-Clippers thing. Uh, depending on how that shakes out, that would be fun. Uh, Minnesota, we mentioned New Orleans. I also just think that's a really fascinating matchup, just in general, to see those guys go at it. I think Minnesota with a team like uh, Phoenix, I think, would be interesting. Because like you said, there is that that foul issue with Minnesota and, you know, can they, can they match up with the team like Phoenix if all those guys are clicking, um, you know, and just looking at it, you know, it, we, we hadn't gotten to Denver, but you know, mat, matchup nightmare for Denver, they're Owen three against the Houston Rockets and they've gotten their, they've gotten their ass kicked by the Rockets in all three games. Like, could that be something where you see master and protege with Jokic and uh, Shengun? I think that'd be a really fun matchup. Uh, and then, you know, you can talk yourself into, you know, Clippers Lakers is always going to drive ratings and uh, Oklahoma City and Golden State have played some really just fantastic games this season. So all of those put together, I think would, you know, that would, those would be some pretty fun series. I didn't even think about Golden State because they are so down horrendous over the past couple of weeks here. Uh, Minnesota Golden State would be a fairy tale for a seven game series. Uh, Draymond shows up ready to rumble for game one. I think we could get at least two fights out of that series. If that happens, um, you didn't even mention your own team, Kyle, like what, if, what a if first round you get Denver versus Dallas and one of Jokic or Luka can go on to the first, go on to the second round there. That's, that's a great scenario for the league that would probably drive awesome ratings, but it would suck. Cause you wouldn't be able to get those guys in a, a series with a few more stakes. Like, that there's so many good options in the Western conference this year. I feel there are so many better options than when we look at our neighbors across the Mississippi there over in the Eastern conference. There's, there's just not a whole lot that sparks joy with me in a first round. Like, Oh, the, the Hawks get to get waxed by the Celtics again. Yeah. That doesn't, that doesn't excite me. Oh, the Bucks probably get to play. I don't know. Uh, like a struggling Cavs squad in the first round. Like, come on, give me a break. Like the, the Western conference is elite. We're going to be beating up on each other for the rest of the year, and it's going to be so much fun to watch. I'm very, very excited. Let's let's dive into our last point of the Western Conference here. We've touched on the first and second place teams in the Northwest Division, and we we rag on the Nuggets for how little they seem to care, whether that's just a shtick that Jokic is putting on at this point or if they're just trying to get to the playoffs. And obviously, they're the champs. They're going to figure it out once they get there. But goddamn, Nikola Jokic just tore out the hearts of those poor, poor Golden State Warriors fans last night. All those fans in attendance paying hundreds and hundreds of dollars just for Jokic to rip out Steph Curry's mouth guard and show it to him. It just, it filled me with such a sense of just unprecedented joy, especially since I had gone to bed. And the first thing that I saw when I woke up is Jokic just yassing that shit from 45 feet out. It was beautiful to see. Yeah, I mean, that shot was incredible. And I mean, Jokic, you know, no big surprise. Jokic has just been an absolute tear the last week. And, you know, the, it, there are times where you could definitely watch Denver and think they're coasting. I mean, they, you know, we're taping this in the middle of, uh, you know, 11 o'clock at night, central January 5th. And they just lost to Orlando. You know, it was a back to back. So that plays a part in it, too. But like 
there are times it does seem like they're coasting. They're playing at a snail's pace. They're the 29th fastest team in the league in terms of pace. But everything that like still work, you know, everything that Denver is like done in the past is still really good, right? Like that the advanced numbers aren't really lacking with this team. This starting lineup still has a plus 18 net rating and an offensive rating of 131 um, in 359 minutes. So it's not like this is a small sample either. So they're still really dominant when they're starting lineups in. The big thing is like when we talk about Denver, as far as a contender, you have to nitpick a little because you're comparing him to the best teams in the league. And they really banked on their process, their draft, their team development, internal development, really working out with this team. And that, you know what, we, we can let, we can sacrifice, we can lose guys like Bruce Brown. We can lose guys like Jeff green. We're going to replace them internally. Their bench is 26 currently in that rating. And this was a problem that they had pre title season with the Jokic squads is that their non Jokic minutes were just so poor. And we're kind of back to that point now when we don't have a Bruce Brown, when we don't have a Jeff Jeff Green, they can't really survive the non-Jokic minutes again. And I think the issue that we're running into with Denver is can they just play Jokic 37, 38, 40 minutes a night basically when it comes to the playoffs? I think that's going to be the solution because I don't really know what the trade is Denver makes to fix that because there isn't really a Bruce Brown available that's going to be able to rectify some of those situations. And they're just going to have to hope for talent development throughout the season from guys who have shown flashes like a Peyton Watson, like a Julian Strother. Those guys have shown moments of really good play, but it's just going to, how much can you rely on those guys? Plus the Reggie Jackson, DeAndre Jordan combination of Lob City era, you know, just to come back for enough playoff games to win. Well, you bring up an interesting point that Denver is at least willing to try stuff with their younger guys. Like you you bring up a guy like a Strother or a Watson or my guy, Christian Brown. He's at least playing a minutes. Like he's not sticking with the old guard on his bench and really just riding Reggie Jackson till the wheels fall off. Or we're going to trot out Zeke Naji instead of DeAndre Jordan some nights because he, he needs to see what's available. You know what I mean? Like you, you draft these guys, and if you're a team like the Nuggets who won the championship last year and really don't have anything to prove to anybody in this regular season, then at least trot those guys out and see what you have. It's not like a team that we're going to probably talk about when we talk about our disappointments in the Western Conference here. But goddamn, what a bad day for the Golden State Warriors again today. Like Jonathan Kaminga comes out and just publicly says he's lost faith in Steve Kerr. And Kevin O'Connor wrote a piece today, and he was basically writing about how Kaminga was one of the more effective players on the court last night. And he barely saw the floor in the fourth quarter. And we talk about how Kerr has been so stubborn in terms of playing his vets, guys like Corey Joseph, guys like Chris Paul, over guys like Trace Jackson Davis, who I really liked coming out of Indiana, or Brandon Pachemski, who I knew barely anything about coming into the season. But in just quick flashes, he's shown that he's Nico Mannion flopped so Brandon Pachemski could fly. Like this kid has been really, really good coming off the bench, but what's it, what's it going to take for a guy like Steve Kerr to play a guy like Moses Moody? Like I know if Moody was in a different system, if he was over on a team like Denver, at least a guy like Malone would have the confidence to trot about and see what's available. And I really value coaches that are willing to try stuff. We, we value that in Mark Dagno, right? Like he doesn't play as starters, a lot of minutes. He messes with his rotations when they get up he sees what's working and he kind of rides that until it stops working. And I feel like there's a level of, I don't know whether it's just being stubborn or whether it's a level of hubris in the case of a guy like Steve Kerr, when you 
have these guys on your roster and you have to figure out if you, you're going to pay them an obscene amount of money when their contracts are up. It's better to at least know what you have because like when Kaminga and Moody are up for extensions, does another team come in and highball them and Golden State just lets them walk and we're just looking at another Toronto situation where you have these young players and you get absolutely no return for them. It's it's just a really interesting way to look at coaching in this league and peop- I, I wonder if a team like Golden State can turn it around or if it's just even too late. Yeah. And Malone's also really quick to call a timeout and, you know, berate the entire team if he needs to. He has some <laughs> of the he has some of the best facial expressions when it comes to timeouts and just his disgust with basketball um when it's being played badly. So yeah, I mean they they have those options and they're taking those chances. And quite honestly, this is the time to take those chances. Like you said, they're trying these different things because they have to try these different things because I mean, they just won the title, right? They, they, they know firsthand experience. You cannot win a championship with five guys. And those five guys are really good. Um, and they work really well together. Everything there makes sense, but you can't just win a title with five guys. So they have to, you know, manufacture this with a, you know, Christian Brown obviously was a part of that team, did some really good stuff. You know, he's got to take on a bigger burden this season. Watson's got to take on a bigger role this season. Strother's trying to find his footing on this team. Reggie Jackson, who, you know, obviously was there last year, but wasn't really a factor when it came to the playoff minutes. He's got to find his role on this team, too. So, you know, being able to work those guys in and give it a shot, try different things, give all these guys a chance to get out there and make some plays. I think it obviously makes sense for this season, even if it means this team is going to sacrifice the one seed. You know, maybe they lose that home court advantage throughout the playoffs. Is having one or two of these bench guys a little more confident for those playoff series? worth it to be the two or three seed at this point, it seems like for Denver, that's what they're kind of looking at. And I think it is kind of the right decision because they're going to need one or two of those guys to step up to win in the playoff series against a team like Oklahoma city, Minnesota, or if one of these other teams figure this out, figures themselves out. Mikey, you're located in the Pacific Northwest and geographically you are the the closest to the, the golden state warriors fan base out of any of us here. What, what's kind of your finger on the pulse is, uh, a big Golden State Warriors fan, or at least uh, as what, somebody who berates them often. What what's your thought process on this team throughout the end of the season? Do we do we pack it up? Do we sh- load the wagons and ship some guys out? Do we do we free the the rookie guys and the younger guys in lieu of these these veteran players? If you're trying to even make the plan at this point for Golden State, what's what's the what's the game plan? What's the focus for you? Well, my thing is, I don't. I really am critical of some of the decisions that Steve Kerr has made and anyone that's making those criticisms of him, I feel has the right to do so. Um, It seems to have splintered the locker room a little bit. There's obviously, we know a little bit of competition amongst the roster is a good thing occasionally, but it seems that the like favoring of the old guard in lieu of, you know, playing the guys who deserve a chance to make this team better. uh, it, It seems like a mistake and it seems to be like fracturing their identity a bit. I, my big thing is like, I wouldn't trade one of those young guys right now unless you absolutely had to, or unless it like definitively made the roster much better. Because I don't think what they have surrounding those guys right now is good enough to justify forfeiting your future for. Like, I don't think what Chris Paul and Steph Curry and Clay Thompson and, you know, Draymond Green, if we ever see him again, what they're, like bringing us on the court right now is something that you're saying 
we need to give up assets to try to make this a little bit better because it's not worth it. This team doesn't have it in the tank. And unless they start to show like some internal development with what they have in the next month before the trade deadline, there's no fucking way I'm trading one of those guys. I would be playing those guys more minutes and I'd be counting on like, let's start phasing into the next generation of whatever this is rather than, you know, ditching everything that we've built in the process of getting to where we are. Like they've had their championships. They don't have to keep chasing that, that ghost because it's just not there anymore. It kind of makes you look at the whole Jordan pool trade during the off season a little bit differently. At least it does for me. Like you, you see the information that's coming about, about how there is that sense of, we're going to go with what's worked for us in the past and we're not, and we're going to do that kind of the, the expense of these younger players. Like obviously pool is just providing hilarious highlights every single night in Washington, every time he steps onto the court, but it's, it's a microcosm of what I think is actually now a bigger issue because you, you look at guys like Jonathan Kaminga who has scored double digit points in his last nine or 10 games. Every time he's come out on the court, he's proven to be effective. He's proven to be a really good player, but it's it's kind of like being stuck in a job where you're doing all the work you're supposed to be doing and then you go into your boss's office and you ask for that promotion or you ask for that more responsibility or you ask for that more money. And it's just like, no, we're actually just really content with you doing what you're doing and you, you keep doing good work. When, when does that work get recognized? When does a guy like Moses Moody earn the opportunity to even not, I'm not even going to say start over a guy like Wiggins, but come off the bench and play for 20 minutes a night. Like he's shown flashes. He's shown the ability that he can hang on an NBA roster and put up some really good statistics in spot minutes, but you're going to ride the the wake of the 2022 championship until the wheels completely fall off this thing. Like well, they don't I think, I think in Moody's case in particular, there's more gripes about being replaced by pods in that rotation where it's like, Oh, For sure. a rookie came in and just immediately got my spot. Like, didn't I earn any trust along the way? And I think that that's where some of Kerr's decisions start to get questioned amongst the roster. Yeah. I think my question with the warriors just as a whole, like I do agree that like Kaminga has played lights out basketball in the last, you know, what has it been? 10, 12 games. I think since he's gotten a bigger role within the roster, uh, pods has obviously been a fantastic player, uh, this rookie season, I think even Trace Jackson Davis has had a big role and been important for them in some of these games the last month or so. But are the Warriors actually good enough to be something with those guys? Like, I, I get that they, you could argue that they're playing better than their you know previous regime. Playing, you know, maybe they should play over Wiggins. But is this team good enough by giving Kaminga more minutes to like be anything? I think is the biggest question that they have to answer because. At the end of the day, like my opinion on the Warriors is, and maybe because I just lived a lot of this with, you know, for football purposes, I, I lived a lot of this as a Patriots fan watching Tom Brady, watching Tom Brady leave, and then watching us crumble, right? Everything should be built around trying to win with Steph Curry while you have Steph Curry. Because Steph Curry is still good enough to win championships. So if you if you can get guys around the team that can help Steph Curry win championships by trading guys. I, I would still look into trading guys, even if they're young, even if they're old. It really just depends on what you can get for those guys, I think is the biggest question. Because I think part of the reason I'm out on Golden State now is like, like 
I agree with a lot of the criticism for Steve Kerr. I think the rotations have been bad. I think some of the lineup decisions have not made sense, especially when, you know, you're not riding the hot hand of a guy like Kaminga. But he is trying to throw so many different things at the wall and things just aren't sticking right now. And the, you know, as his entire tenure as coach of the Warriors, his bread and butter has been, we have the best starting five debatably ever, right? You know, when they had the original lineup of death, when it was Steph, Clay, Barnes, Iguodala, Draymond Green, that was the best start. That was the best five man lineup in the league. When they swapped Barnes for Durant, it was even better. And even like the title year, when they had Steph, Clay, Wiggins, uh, Looney, and Draymond, that was really good. And even last year, when they, you know, still struggled last season, their starting five was, I think, the best five man lineup in the league, even last season. This season, with Steph, Clay, and Draymond on the court, they have a negative net rating. Like, this team isn't very good with their starting lineup on the court with the guys who are supposed to be their ride or die guys. And that's the part that bothers me with the Warriors is if you're not, that was the thing that was always good. So if that's not good, how do you fix that? And are these are these answers on your bench? Are these young guys actually good enough to come in and step in for a guy like Clay Thompson, step in for a guy like Andrew Wiggins who helped win you a title, and actually make this team still a contender? And that's where my questions lie with the Warriors. I think if there was any opportunity to really, like you said, throw shit at the wall and see if it sticks, it started with this Draymond Green suspension when, like you said, that's that's a big part of your core that's not going to be in your rotation, that's not even going to be in the building for an extended period of time. Just try stuff. Just attempt some different things. And Kerr's kind of overcorrected a little bit over the past few games. We've started to see, like you said, Pashemsky, Jackson Davis, Kaminga, all starting to get more consistent minutes, but it's it's not enough to really see if that's a sustainable thing or if it's something that you can really rely on as a rotation if you guys end up getting do get a, end up getting into the playoffs there. I want to read an excerpt from O'Connor's article and then we're going to go ahead and close up for the night I think cuz it is getting real darn late. So, this is what he wrote in November, the night after the Kings squandered a 24 or after the Warriors squandered a 24 point lead to the Kings. Kerr's once revered coaching style, which balanced individual freedom and systemic discipline, now appears to be failing, with no accountability for veterans declining performances. Not giving any minutes to excelling young players is taking the easy way out rather than playing the young guys and managing the egos of his older players. All Kerr is doing now is sending a message that hard work will not be rewarded with chances and production during limited opportunities will not be rewarded with more minutes because on Kerr's Warriors, tenure is all that matters. And it's going to be really interesting to see if what I just read from another man's article from months ago is still going to be the same thing that we see, whether or not the Golden State Warriors are going to be playoff bound once we have to revisit this conversation in April or May. So That was bars, son. Bars. Uh, I'm not taking any credit for that. That's KOC. <laughs> he is universally liked or hated, depending on who you talk to. But again, like that's a really good way to eloquently display that the teams at the top are trying stuff. The teams at the top are doing the things that they need to do in order to win basketball games. And even if they don't win that one game on a certain night, at least they're doing weird shit. And in the case of the Thunder, the Wolves, the Nuggets, even the Celtics a little bit. I didn't have Sam Hauser in my bingo card as a veteran KG role player. I give Derek Michael shit every time that guy has a terrible game. It's happened more often than not. But goddamn, these guys at the top, they're trying stuff. Kurt, get it together. Adler, don't listen to this. Adler, when we get to like minute 45, turn the pot off. It's a little late to say it, but Adler, don't listen to this, buddy. We miss you. We love you. Come back to us. Let's wrap it up for the night. For myself, 
for Kyle, for producer Mikey, for new, well, dad part two, Brett, and dad part three to becoming Steve Sabatini. That's going to do it for us here tonight. It's been a pleasure. Let's do this again, boys. Have a good night. See ya. Thank you.